You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Not quite all quiet on the cyber front. Pyongyang is fishing for crypto wallets and your NFTs and other blockchain valuables. Emoted really likes those malicious macros. Joe Kerrigan looks at prompt bombing. Beck McKeown from Immersive Labs explains human cyber capabilities. And happy anniversary to us. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. It's not all quiet on the cyber front, but there's not much news from that phase of Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine. Presumably, nuisance-level doxing and DDoS continue. That includes one Azov-themed phishing campaign CERT-UA is warning against, emails marked urgent and carrying a cobalt strike payload. But no major new cyber attacks are being reported. For all that, Western governments are not disposed to drop their guard. NATO's Locked Shields, a defensive cyber live-fire exercise, is now underway in Tallinn, The scenario is said to be heavily shaped by events in Ukraine, as indeed it should be. We've mentioned that exercise locked shields includes not just military participants, but civilian government and even private sector organizations as well. One such organization is FSISAC, the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, through which banks and other financial institutions routinely share cyber intelligence. Steven Silverstein, CEO of FSISAC, said in an announcement, Cooperation at this scale reflects the interdependencies of all critical infrastructure sectors and the public sector. Leading the financial sector scenario is a natural extension of our role in promoting information sharing and collective defense to strengthen the resiliency of the global financial system. Estonia's former president has a warning for his Ukrainian counterpart, and it's based on Estonia's experience with a crippling Russian cyber attack in 2017 that affected media, government agencies, and financial services. If the war continues to go badly on the ground, expect Russian cyber operators to pull out the stops. That's according to the Washington Post. CISA yesterday warned in a joint alert issued in coordination with the FBI and the Department of the Treasury that North Korea's Lazarus Group is conducting a campaign against a variety of organizations in the blockchain technology and cryptocurrency industry, including cryptocurrency exchanges, decentralized finance protocols, play-to-earn cryptocurrency video games, 
cryptocurrency trading companies, venture capital funds investing in cryptocurrency, and individual holders of large amounts of cryptocurrency or valuable non-fungible tokens. The attacks begin with social engineering designed to induce victims to download trojanized cryptocurrency applications. The malware toolkit, which CISA calls Trader Traitor, can infect both Windows and macOS systems. As usual, CISA offers an extensive set of indicators of compromise and recommended remediations. In this case, as in so many others, the Lazarus Group is financially motivated, seeking to redress Pyongyang's enduring financial shortfalls through direct theft. They're collecting information, but they're also rifling wallets, as bleeping computer notes. Fortinet looks at recent Emotet outbreaks and describes the way the malware is being distributed as the payload carried by malicious files, Excel spreadsheets and Word documents for the most part, attached to phishing emails. Since last month, the most common fishhook has been a malicious Excel file. Fortinet says, We believe that the authors prefer to use Excel files with Excel 4.0 macro for malicious documents to reduce detection by antivirus engines. Thanks as always for listening and reading, but especially this week. It's the CyberWire's sixth anniversary as an independent company. For the past six years, the CyberWire has delivered your daily dose of the top cybersecurity news, and we're pleased to have become a trusted source for the industry. To celebrate our big six, and as a special thanks to all of our CyberWire listeners and readers, for one week we're offering a discount of 60% on annual subscriptions of CyberWire Pro. Use code CyberWireAnniversary2022 by April 25th to take advantage of this celebratory discount. Subscribe and save now, but above all, thank you for listening and reading The CyberWire. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. 
Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Immersive Labs recently published their Cyber Workforce Benchmarks report, examining the cyber skills, knowledge, and preparedness of organizations across various industries, including government, retail, healthcare, and financial services. Beck McKeown is Director of Human Science at Immersive Labs. My personal background is around crisis response, so that was the most interesting one for me. Um, and I think a lot of it, or the most the really interesting part was looking at the responses to ransomware um, attacks, threats, and the decreased confidence levels that people were showing when they actually countered those threats. Um, and to me, that's really explained by the fact that ransomware is very much what we call a wicked problem. So that means it's very complicated. Um, it has an impact in lots of different areas. You're working at speed, particularly when there's a crisis happening. You've, you've got to do something quite quickly. You don't have a full amount of information. And generally speaking, when you make decisions that solve one problem, they'll create a problem in a different area. It's a bit of a zero-sum game. And that, for me, is quite interesting from a psychological perspective because you have to have some slightly different thinking skills and a different way of tackling those problems. I'm fascinated by you know the, sort of the notion that the psychological approach to something like a ransomware attack, I can't help wondering, are cybersecurity people uh, best prepared to deal with something like this? The, the tools that they bring to the table, certainly technical expertise, are they perhaps uh, not not well served when it comes to the, the emotional aspects of ransomware? I don't think it's quite as clear cut as that because I think the technical or the technical skills and abilities and, and certainly the experience are really, really important. Um, and I think really rather than sort of looking at the emotional impact, it's kind of like, well, actually, if people understand how their brains work, how they react in emergencies, what they can then do is to learn how to counteract the, the brain's natural instincts. And that will serve them better in helping them to a, increase confidence in working in these difficult situations, but also to know that they're not just jumping into the first uh, solution they come across and to look at data and to take their time. And that means they're more likely to be effective in the decisions they make towards resolving the situation. How do you make the value proposition case to the powers that be in an organization? You know, as you say, if exercising these skills every eight weeks or so, that's a significant time investment. How do you approach that? Um, I think it's really about, to me... It's a change in mindset because a lot of people think, well, actually, we need to train people. So actually, we need training involves taking them out of the organisation, sending them on a training course, paying for that training course, then they come back. To me, it's about looking at continuing professional development as being part of the day job, because in terms of the bottom line, the finance of it, it's certainly not going to cost you anymore. 
it's a big big cost to take people out of the business and get you know consultants or whoever in to do these courses but if you make it part of the day job um certainly from our point of view we call it micro drilling so it's little nibbles constantly throughout you know the week the month the quarter that helps you build these skills would probably work out financially and in terms of resource being away from the business a lot less costly because you're doing small nibbles regularly at your desk. That's Beck McKeown from Immersive Labs. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. You know, something we talk about over on Hacking Humans is this notion of putting your victims into a certain emotional state. Yes. Short-circuiting their rational thinking. Correct. Uh, This article came by that I found interesting. This is from the folks over at BlackBerry. And it's uh, titled Prompt Bombing, Harnessing the Power of Irritation, written by Lisa Myers and Gary Davis. Uh, Joe, irritation is something that uh, you're familiar with. Yes, so. yes I am. I'm, <laughs> you know, every now and then on Hacking Humans, I say uh, there's there's an attack out there for everybody. And, and what well, I say that frequently, but every now and then I say, hey, this is one that would work on me. Yeah. And one preying on my irritation is certainly one that I have to uh, – keep my guard up for. <laughs> so what what exactly are they outlining here? So what they're talking about here is they're, they're calling it prompt bombing, which I think is a great name because it tells you exactly what's going on. Yeah. But essentially you install an app that then starts prompting you over and over and over again with all kinds of annoying questions. Mm-hmm. And eventually one of those questions, after you, after you get conditioned to continually hit yes or dismiss or whatever, one of those questions is, hey, can I have permission to your microphone? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Hey, can I read all your phone calls? Yes. Ugh. Yeah. You know, and and that way this app can then you know gather all these permissions up or or access to your to your files or whatever and start mm-hmm. doing whatever it is that this malicious software does. Now, you know what struck me about this, Dave, hmm. is when I was reading the description of it, I'm like, you know what? Software companies have been doing this to us for years. Hmm. Right. In order to proceed, you have to agree to this EULA. I agree to the EULA, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? The mm-hmm. end user license agreement. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you read an EULA? Oh, goodness. Come on. Be serious. <laughs> right. no, nobody does. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Maybe Ben Yellen does, but he's yeah. a lawyer. And that's, yes. yeah. <laughs> I imagine Ben go, ooh, let me read this. <laughs> right. Lisa and Gary make a really good point here. These prompts can be, uh, don't have to be just frequent and annoying, they can be embarrassing, right? Hmm. Imagine a prompt that comes up on your screen and shows, you know, like you've been look, you've been clicking on those ads that say hot singles in your area. Yeah. Right. And there's pictures of somebody going, Hey, I'm, 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 I'm a hot single. Look how hot I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and here I am looking to meet with you. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And, and you're in a meeting or something. Right. Right. And somebody's looking over your shoulder going, aren't you married? Right. Um, I'm imagining in the car with my wife. Right. Oh, even better. Yeah. (laughs) Who's this? Right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) How do I get rid of this as fast as I can? Yes. Well, that's a social engineering technique to get you to agree to something that you probably shouldn't agree to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, they go on and say in this article that there should be some kind of rate limiting. I'm Mm. not exactly sure what that looks like and how that works, uh, but I'm confident it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. what I'd prefer to see is 
any app that does this profusely mm-hmm. be pulled from the app stores. You know, and and this idea of push notifications for apps. I mean, I've I've hunted down apps that do push notifications and remove them. <laughs> right. Uh, you right. know, like I, I cannot stand the idea that somebody's sending me a, a notification yeah. for some ad for something. Yeah, I have to say, uh, this reminded me, uh, there's a desktop app that I use that every now and then it just just starts hitting me with, I need to install an update. Is that okay? I need to install an update. Is that okay? And it just like it just loops back on itself, and it is so aggravating. Right. Uh, and uh, this plays right into that, right? Yep. That aggregation of just click, 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 just go away. I have stuff to do. Just go away. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This article points out that uh, evidently prompt bombing has become part of the the playbook for some of the groups like Lapsus and Cozy Bear. Yeah. Uh, they're using it evidently to bypass multi-factor authentication. Um, and uh, the authors of this article point out that a big component of this is training. Right. Yep. Training and education. Just yeah. make sure that you're uh, you're aware of what, what the possibilities are. Mm-hmm. That I, I think that is a huge component. And I think that's probably one of the one of the overlooked spots in uh in I, I believe it the entire social engineering problem is is a is a blind spot in the security industry. It's getting less so. Yeah. But um you know we all focus very much on these bright shiny objects, you know, uh you know all these cool technical solutions, but we don't do the basic stuff like inventory control, you know, yeah. asset management and and security awareness training. Yeah. Good thing this article points out that that I really think is key here is uh establishing an environment where the folks in your organization feel like they can come to the security people if they've accidentally hit okay while fumbling with their phone, right? After right. their their phone is peppering them with all these things, they realize that maybe they click something wrong that they feel like they can come to you and they're not going to be beat up about it. Right. You know, they're not going to be shamed about it, that you'll help them take care of it and solve the problem. But fostering that sort of environment is really going to make a huge difference in your organization's security posture. I would agree. And that is going to be very, very difficult. And one of the reasons I think that's going to be difficult is just because of human nature. Yeah. I mean, I will say that sometimes sometimes I get frustrated when I see people doing things that I know are not right, things mm-hmm. that they shouldn't do, Yeah, right? And we we have a story about it every week on Hacky Humans yeah. where somebody has done something and to our audience, it seems like an obvious mistake, yeah. right? But you've got to remember, as a security professional, you live steeped in this environment mm-hmm. and everybody else doesn't. Right. Right. They live steeped in the environment of maybe like human resources or in in engineering or or software development or something. Yeah. And yeah, all these things should have some kind of security around them, but they're really focused on getting their jobs done. Right. They do not carry the level of cynicism that we right. do. Yeah, that, that's, maybe maybe that's why I'm so the good. The weight of the world has not yet crushed their spirit. That too. Yeah. The weight of the world is right. crushed old Joe's spirit. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's Sometimes it's hard, but you have to remember these people are not steeped in this world. They don't live here. They don't breathe this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and I have to remind myself of that from time to time that it, you know these people didn't fall for this because of you know any, any any lack of understanding. They fell for it because somebody took advantage of them. And they're human. And they're human. They're yeah. people. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, again, this article is over uh, on uh, the BlackBerry blog. Uh, It's titled Prompt Bombing, Harnessing the Power of Irritation. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. 
that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. I want to share a word of congratulations to our friend Ann Johnson and her team at Microsoft Security. Today, Ann's podcast, Afternoon Cyber Tea, is airing its 50th episode. That's quite a milestone. What an incredible journey with amazing guests on the show, and I'm sure many more to come. We're fortunate that Afternoon Cyber Tea joined the CyberWire network last year, and we look forward to seeing it continue to grow. If you haven't checked out the show, you can find it on all of your favorite podcast apps and at thecyberwire.com slash afternoon dash cyber dash tea. Congratulations, Anne, and the entire ACT team. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Irvin, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yelling, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.